episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here and joining me on the show as we kick off training camp positional previews, Andrew Kramer of the Star Tribune. And I said yesterday on the show, Andrew, that I had no idea even what position we were going to talk about because I was leaving it up to you. But you being a polite Midwesterner were like, no, you pick. And I was like, no, you pick. Then I was like, no, you have the last donut. No, let's cut it in half. So we have decided on a position though, man. How are you? Are you excited for training camp? We're just a couple days away here. I'm incredibly excited. I'm very decisive on how excited I am. And it's incredibly, there's no four-way stop, Minnesotan four-way stop we're going to make on this one. <laughs> I have to say, I, I, I do want to thank the people in Minnesota who decided on roundabouts, but I also think yes. that they should come with instructions. Like every car that you buy should have, like in the car, you'll open up the instructions. Here's how to go through a roundabout. And here's like what which lanes you can use and when you can go, when you cannot go, because there are two roundabouts near my house and Holy Moses. I, it's, ju it's just madness. Now, people don't get hit. Like, it's not a four-way stop that people run through when they're just being dopes, but it, it's just complete nonsense. And I've seen somebody pull over in a roundabout, just <laughs> put on the blinker, pull over. I, I've seen people wave you by. No, like, no, it's your turn to go. You can't wave me by. This is that, that's what we got rid of the four stop, four-way stops because Minnesotans couldn't wave, stop waving people by. Anyway, I like the society. Well, and actually, this we're all good. Yeah. Roundabouts were the position group we chose to talk about today. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, uh, I don't even know how we got there, but just last night, I almost got hit in a roundabout and it's uh, on my mind. So, actually, safeties and linebackers. And uh, I pair them together because linebackers essentially are slightly beefier safeties. Although I remember when we walked out to, uh, I think it was rookie minicamp and saw Brian Asamoah. And I was just like, I don't think that my LaVon Kirklands are ever coming back. I mean, even think about even like Chad Greenway would be a yeah. monster sized linebacker at this point. Every linebacker is Brian Asamoah size. Since they're all the same size people now, I'm just including linebackers and safeties together. I think that's fair. I remember when the Vikings were deciding between Eric Kendricks and Bernardrick McKinney in 2015 and McKinney is a six foot six, the typical middle linebacker that you would have, that Mike Zimmer dreamed about once upon a time. And now Eric Kendricks is that mold of like, no, this is the guy you're actually supposed to be looking for. Uh, but when he came out, it was no, he's undersized. Can he actually play this position? And Brian Osamoa is a step farther than that. The guy's two two thirty something. Like he he does not weigh barely anything, and it's incredible to see that at least in small spurts last year he made that transition. Yeah, I don't know what he's listed at, but I mean, he's really strong. He kind of looks like if you were just to guess, you would say, oh, that must be a running back, right? Because most running backs are kind of his size. And usually the linebackers used to be quite a bit bigger, but that is a very recent change. And I also think that uh, the way that Brian Flores is going to use these guys, linebackers and safeties, based on even what we saw in minicamp, it could be kind of interchangeable. Don't you think like he's going to use these guys all over the field? I do, especially if, if those guys let him, meaning if they are responsible enough to handle all the assignments that they're throwing at him, they, they feel, you know, these coaches, they need that reliability. They need to know that the guy's going to be where they assign them to be and follow all the rules in the scheme. And we saw Josh Metellus do a lot of that in dime packages. We saw Brian Osamoa out there as the only linebacker at times in some of these packages they're doing. Uh, Makai Blackman, Jawan Williams, um, uh, Cam Bynum dropping into the box. Harrison Smith going to get involved down there again. I think you're going to see a lot of guys kind of come and go 
from the line. And uh, how Cam Bynum described how they're teaching it to me is that everybody is just an X and you just need to know where what you need to be looking for when your X is in a certain spot. And you're just going to kind of follow around in the back seven. And, and those spots are going to kind of be amorphous in terms of how they blob together sometimes. How do you know which X is your X if everyone's an X? <laughs> it depends on where you're standing. <laughs> oh, I see. So like I'm an X, but I, I was thinking of it on a chalkboard and there's all the X's and you're like, wait, is that me? Or is that, is that, that Todd? <laughs> Who is that? Like, which X is that? Uh, yeah, uh, the Vikings defense ranks 32nd because no one could figure out which X they are. Like one of the <laughs> strangest things to go wrong and that is worse than uh, Donatelle because they couldn't figure out which little uh, mark they are. But um, so instead of just doing a sort of a traditional preview, we couldn't really do that here on the show because those are boring. Uh, I wanted to present a bunch of scenarios to you about the linebackers and safeties, and then you react to them. So we're gonna we're gonna call it the thirty for thirty game, and I will present it as what if I told you blank, and then you could tell me the ramifications, how it could possibly happen, whether it's realistic, and so forth. And since you chose to come on the show, you have to play along with that whatever game I created. So here we go. We have to begin in the safety and linebacker preview with Lewisine. First round draft pick. Everybody knows by now that he was not the first or second safety or third safety last year during training camp or this year during mini camp. But what if I told you, Andrew Kramer, that he was starting next to Harrison Smith by the end of training camp? What would have to happen if I if he were to get there? Yeah, let me pick up uh, right where we left off with the X discussion, because I actually have the quote in front of me, and this will uh, bleed right into what Lewis Seen needs to do. Cam Bynum had said, the way we they taught it, you learn the concepts, you don't learn the position, you learn where each X is on the field. This defense, there's always going to be a flat, there's always going to be two hook players, another flat, and three deep thirds, so anybody can play at any of those spots, at any of those X's, you're just a piece of the puzzle. And so what Lewis C needs to learn to do if he's going to be able to do that is understand how to read the quarterback from those different alignments. I talked to Durante Jones, their defensive backs coach, and he made note that when you play up at the line in this defense, you are, your eyes need to be in different places than they were under Ed Donatel. Ed Donatel is much more match-based principles. You're reading the receivers, where they line up, where you think the routes are going to go, and then obviously where you match in line with that. With this defense, it's much more man-to-man. It's much more eyes, zone eyes to the quarterback. So you need to be able to cover your guy while also looking at the quarterback when you are aligning in the box. These are all baby step things, fundamentals that they started teaching these guys back in April. And then they figured out who caught on quickly and who didn't. And suddenly when OTAs came up, we're looking at this defense and Lewisine is just playing deep safety. He's just playing free safety. He's just playing um, in that strong safety spot, which is still anchored back. And they consider that to be one interchangeable spot. So they're trying to give him enough to get comfortable and then build off of that, which is telling you that he's not totally comfortable with all of the different kind of moving parts up at the front of the line that they're use- doing right now, where you see Metellus, you see Bynum doing these things. So if Lewis Seen is starting next to Harrison Smith, that means he has shown that he can be that full-time player back there 
which entails being a more versatile player that does move around because they can't have predictability back there. You can't say, well, Lewis Seen's back there. We know he's only going to be doing this one thing. That's not what Brian Flores is doing. That's not what he's drawing up. That's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to be unpredictable and moving these parts around. So you can't be pigeonholed and be that full-time player here. And so that's where, and they don't want him to be. You draft a guy first round, you, you see his speed that really stands out compared to the other guys. He is capable of being a really big impact in the box player if mentally he can get there. And I think that is by far the biggest question mark. So I was very surprised by this. I went back into the PFF data and I dug through it and I was thinking that I would find that in college, Lewis Seen must have lined up all over the place, right? He must have been, he must have been up in the box. He must have been blitzing. He was whatever. I found the total opposite, that he was actually a deep safety like 90% of the time in college, that he wasn't doing that, which may have fit or at least ideally with what they wanted to do with Ed Donatel, because uh, I think that they wanted under Ed Donatel to play the two deep safety stuff. And it is so funny how much they changed that they went to a completely different system from last year. But luckily, all the players are gone. So everyone's just learning it anew. But uh, they wanted like to have these two deep safeties, but be able to shift kind of after the snap, which was really what Lewisine did in college. And he even talked about when he got to Minnesota, hey, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of this already in college. Now, he didn't catch on fast enough to start last year. I think it's possible throughout the year he would have gotten a bunch of opportunities uh, eventually, especially the way things were going. But what you just described is not what this guy has done in college and is not what he has done uh, in terms of the is is amount of play in the NFL. So I could hear as you were breaking that down, and that's tremendous insight from uh, Durante and from Cam Bynum. But as you were breaking that down, I could hear it. I could hear it in your voice. A little skepticism there, but I, I told you it happened, but there was skepticism that it could actually happen. So that's the other part. It's like, what if I told you, like, would you believe me if I told you that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't in 2023. I, I think that this is a guy who is going to need some time to catch up to these kinds of things. And frankly, um, part of the reporting that that I did in talking to Lewis Seen, talking to Durante and his teammates is this is a guy who also had a little bit of a wake up call last year and last summer in that uh, Durante said one of the biggest changes this year for him was just accountability. He's a guy who's now speaking up, asking questions. He's he's reflecting more of what a pro needs to be, which, yes, a lot of guys go through that. Some guys don't need to. Some, sometimes you get a Justin Jefferson who's just pro ready. Sometimes you get, you know, even a Stefan Diggs who takes a year or two, but you can tell when they get on the field, yeah, this is different. With him, we just haven't seen it yet. And to be fair, we haven't had a, a big sample size, but I would be very skeptical that that happens this year, considering how far set back he was with the injury last year and how far set, set back he must be in the playbook now, considering everything that we've laid out. Right. And when we're doing our reporting from OTAs in minicamp, I totally understand why people do not care. Like, I, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that the <laughs> listeners of Purple Insider who love the Vikings and are psychos like they do. But I mean, yep. the broader fan base is like, oh, what? So what are you guys even doing out there? Uh, but there are some things like how someone's coming along in terms of learning that you can pick up on early. And the fact that he wasn't really getting any first team looks uh, that, that brought 
Brian Flores was going entirely with Cam Bynum and Josh Metellus on the field with the first teams. That certainly made me skeptical as well. And it feels like he would have to go a long way. And I guess I, I do want to talk about Lewisine's personality because when he first arrived and a lot of people win the first press conference, I mean, you hate talking in public aside from podcasts, you could win the first press conference after you get drafted. Everyone's nice to you. You're happy, whatever. Right. But he came across as being just sort of really mature and, and so forth. But one thing that always kind of pops to me is when someone feels like they already know it, when it's like, oh, man, I did this in college. I got this. And you're like, OK, well, that's not anything like this. And one thing I really like about the Netflix documentary quarterback is it shows you how complicated this game is. And if you don't have the self-awareness to recognize that, then you are going to fall behind. And I, I mean, it's a really great anecdote about him sort of realizing that, but does he really, does he really realize because Josh Metellus and Cam Bynum, and we're going to get to them. They are really intelligent players. I and mean, I think those are two of the most intelligent players on the entire team for football IQ. I think that the bar is actually set quite high for Lewis seen to win that job. I would agree. Um, and yeah, when you bring up those two guys, uh, those are guys that have answered the bell in games and that answers, or that means, excuse me, so much when it comes to what these coaches value. Um, the fact that Josh Metellus has gone out there and made a game-winning interception, game-sealing interception, uh, the fact that Cam Bynum has made spot starts for Harrison Smith and then earned the starting job throughout the entire year um, and, and shown you that he can do it. He was one of, I think, three defenders in the entire NFL to not leave the field last year. I mean, you, you got to really – you got to do a lot to play that guy off the field at that point. And I'm not saying that they were good <laughs> because they weren't last year, but – they weren't effective with him on the field, but he wasn't the, the reason they were ineffective. And with that said, that experience built up, that trust factor, and you know Bynum is sitting there in the classroom periods with Flores and with everything they're doing and probably knocking it out of the park because that is his strength, is knowing what to do mentally. This guy converted from corner at, at Cal, made that transition to safety, which a lot of people say is pretty difficult to do because that is the biggest jump, is the mental jump from college to the NFL, he did that and has now done that in multiple defenses, three, four defenses, however many it is now, and gone on to show that. So, yes, when you say the bar is really high, I think Lewis Seen's got a lot to clear. I think Lewis Seen's ceiling in 2023 is more going to be sub-package player where he shows and practices and preseason, hey, I'm really good in the red zone. Hey, I'm really good uh, covering a tight end in the specific spot, whatever it is. And then he can kind of weasel his way on the field that way because – I just don't see that full-time role right now. So I, I want to talk more about those two, Bynum and Metellus, because uh, I'm actually really intrigued by what Metellus's role could be in this defense. But uh, the other part of this for what if I told you is ramifications. And I mean, I think the biggest ramification, if he's not in the field, is just that it's not quite time to call it. I mean, I think you need three years for any player who's drafted anywhere, but in the first round, especially like think about, you know, Laquan Treadwell made some progress from year one to year two. And then in year three, it was kind of like, all right, this is it. If he doesn't really do it in year three and then he didn't. And then we knew, uh, and then the fourth year is just awkward for everybody. And then they don't pick up the fifth year option and we all do it again. Uh, but you know, this, this, this is not, I don't think this is a make or break year, but it's like make or break ish. I mean, if you can't get it this year, I, I'm going to be in a place where 
I mean, I mean, out of camp, I, if you can't make it out of camp and, and win that job, then I'm going to be saying, I don't know if this first round pick's going to work out. Yeah. This year you want to see him play his way onto the field because this is a coaching staff that has shown that, Hey, if, if you've got something, we'll find a sub package defensively. We'll do something to make it work, to get you on the field. If this, which was the 31st ranked fast defense a year ago, can't find a way to use you this year. That's a huge indictment, I do think. And then also, you talk about next year. I do think that is more of the year, obviously, not only the third year, as you mentioned, but that is the year that Harrison Smith is going to be 35 years old and the year that Josh Metellus' contract expires. And so basically, it's just Cam Bynum left on this roster if you're assuming that it's time for Scene to take Harrison Smith's job, uh, as he was probably drafted to do. So the runway is open for him next year. But you do. It's it's already time to start looking for this year for, OK, you know, find that kind of niche in that role, because this is a defense that should set you up for it. Real quick little snark to throw out there. Uh, I guess Mike Zimmer just hates rookies. That must be it, right? Oh, it's another coaching <laughs> staff. It's actually another another coaching staff uh, at this moment. But you mean that coaches don't just randomly decide not to put on the best players on the field? No. Uh, that was always, I, I'm sorry, that was always one of the weirdest criticisms of Zimmer. Like, you've got a lot of material. You don't need to stretch on stuff like that. Uh, anyway, but uh, let's talk about Metellus because he's more interesting to me than um, Cam Bynum. What if I told you by the end of the year, and I'm trying to make this a thing, maybe a little brand here, that they would be calling him Joker Metellus. What if I told you that? <laughs> oh, my God. I, you know, I kind of like the uh, the chances of that happening because we there were very few times we looked up at, at OTAs or, or the minicamp and it wasn't him in that kind of a role. Very few times do we look up and go, oh, Makai Blackman's kind of getting some run here. Now, this is the time of year where Harrison Smith was not doing a lot. There were some days he wasn't even there. Uh, Byron Murphy wasn't doing a lot. So there were, you know, we don't know that they're going to play their veterans a lot more in some of those roles. But I do think that the young guy with the the biggest chance and, and obviously the obvious front runner to take that job is him. And He's shown that he can be that kind of linebacker, um, somebody who can kind of cover running backs and, and at least be somebody who can get in the way of a tight end over the middle. And we've also seen him be a trusted nickel who can process a lot of information as you need to do in that spot. And I think they're going to blitz him just as much as you would blitz anybody else. And so I do think him and Asamoa have a pretty good chance to be those kinds of those kind of interchangeable safety linebacker types. And Jordan Hicks might suffer for it. We might not see him on the field as much if this actually works out and if they get teams into passing situations or third and longs or whatever. Uh, we, we still need to see if that can actually happen because Dean Lowry is, is starting up front right now. Um, but So that's a big question mark. But I do think if, if they call him that, Matt, um, I, I like the chances of that happening better than, than Lewis Seen starting. That's for sure. Really? Okay. Well, I guess from what we've seen so far, and, and that's the thing is I don't want to overreact to what we've seen so far because it was literally minicamp. But at the same time, it does really match with their priors. And the prior for Josh Metellus is the coaches absolutely love him. The players absolutely love him. And you know this, I mean, we trust their like direction, what they do 
we read between the lines more than our own eyes. Even uh, we kind of look at, all right, who's getting the reps? Where are they getting those reps? How are people talking about them? Are the compliments empty or are they specific or that, you know what I mean? And everything with Josh Metellus has been like, no, this guy is a real player. And I think that you've seen him kind of take that Anthony Harris route to having a role where at first it's a special teams guy. You just don't know whatever. Is he just a guy who gets cut after a couple of years or something? And then it pops for him. And I thought last year it popped when he got that big opportunity, but also on special teams too, that that matters. I mean, we don't think about special teams at all, but they do. And it matters who's really uh, diligent on special teams. He was and I, I think that there is a good chance. I would even say if you wanted to be bold, you would say that he ends up with like four or five sacks or something this year because you could see him moving around and uh, and blitzing. So I, I don't know if I'm getting like over excited because I like this. Like I, I like the idea of a guy who's dynamic and who's moving around is like super intelligent and kind of a little weapon for them. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting like a little too far ahead when we haven't seen training camp. Yeah, he also played 300 plus snaps last year. I mean, he, it was a decent enough chunk where you saw him be consistent and reliable for them and not blown coverages. I mean, there's a reason why Cam Dancer was just cut and then cut again by Washington before he ended up in Buffalo. Um, they had guys that they just couldn't trust in, in the in the secondary. And the guy you could trust was five foot nine and they had to let Duke Shelley go. So um, I really think that Metellus is somebody who has shown enough. And you, I was going to bring up the special team stuff as well. Um, that is really where young guys can kind of cut their teeth and prove to coaches and get recommendations in-house to other coaches of like, no, this is a guy you can trust. He's going to show up and do the dirty work and whatever you ask. And Metellus has done that, whether it's you mentioned um, Anthony Harris. Um, I think of Andrew Sandejo did that once upon a time in this defense. Guys have come up that kind of channel and been consistent, reliable and eventual full time players. And right now, Metellus might be that guy, if not for Cam Bynum. And it's just weird to talk about this logjam because this isn't a proven group, right? It, it is proven in the sense of that this is a young secondary. So these are the more proven guys in terms of Bynum, Metellus and all that. But it is quite the logjam in front of Lewis scene. And it gives them hope that this secondary with a creative coaching staff can be something more than its really young cornerback group, which is what everyone's worried about. Um, so when it comes to the safeties, the unfortunate part of this position is we don't have randoms. Like I was looking at the depth chart and I was like, wait, did I miss somebody with safeties? There's no randoms. Uh, but we do have to talk about Harrison Smith because there is one talking point with Harrison Smith. Give me your reaction to this. I think he's one pro bowl away from getting hall of fame consideration. Historically, now listen to me. Don't, don't scoff. Don't you scoff. <laughs> Historically speaking, six Pro Bowls for a defensive back doesn't really get you that close. Seven Pro Bowls is Darrell Revis and Daryl Green and Earl Thomas. And I don't care about Pro Bowls and you don't care about Pro Bowls. But the voters, they tend to look at awards and things like this. I think that there will be an opportunity. So it's what if I told you Harrison Smith made the Pro Bowl this year after still being really good last year, but not getting opportunity. Like what would have to happen for him to get back? And he wasn't mentioned on the Jeremy Fowler thing with the executives. What would have to happen for him to get back in the limelight as one of the best players at the position? Yeah, he's going to have to turn back time a little bit. And I just got done writing about how I do think he is going to be one of the most interesting players to watch in this secondary because of Brian Flores, because this is going to look more 
like a Mike Zimmer style defense in terms of putting him near the line of scrimmage, letting him disguise things at the line, letting him toy with quarterbacks and then letting him blitz. Um, we, I mean, we've all documented that he blitzed the fewest times since it was like 2013 or whatever. And he had zero sacks for just the second time in his career last year. I mean, these were all problems and this is not who he is. He is a guy who likes to wreak havoc, use his instinct, use his intellect, use all of that game study and the time he puts into it to take advantage and, and jump things. And I think Flores is going to put him in those positions, or at least that's the book on Flores, that he's the kind of guy who can do that. Um, and it, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Harrison made the Pro Bowl again because he could put up some interceptions, some some like game-changing numbers, sack numbers, forced fumbles, interceptions. He can make enough of those plays a la Patrick Peterson last year that kind of gets him back into the conversation. I just I would absolutely stop short of the Hall of Fame. I think that's a spot reserved for guys who have postseason moments and um, really separate themselves in that way. And again, it's just one all pro for Harrison, which kind of shocks me. He got stuck in the 2010s behind some really good guys. Um, and he should probably have more than one all pro, but that's also going to work against him. I agree with you on both counts that a lot of times the voters look at, did you get a key interception in the playoffs that ended a season for some other team or whatever? And those moments that, you know, he hasn't been in the playoffs enough to have those moments, but I also think like that's not his fault and that's not really fair as a way to determine it. Um, But I think that is an interesting bar because when I was looking at pro bowls, looking at hall of fames, there are a lot of guys who have five, six pro bowls that, don't really get a lot of consideration and the defensive back position is preposterous it is so hard to make uh the hall of fame from that position there's a ton of guys who are really good who didn't but it's a it's like it's like leveling up it's sort of a plateau that if you clear you get more attention so that's not a guarantee i just think that if people pull up his pro football reference page and see seven pro bowls like oh wow okay seven pro bowls maybe i need to take another look at that and someday in roger goodell's national football league people will just go to well someday it'll be the tracking data uh whatever that we've downloaded onto our you know, eyeballs or whatever, however it's going to work in the future. But for now, uh, I think that we're starting to get people paying attention to things like PFF grades for positions that can't really be quantified in other ways. And Harrison Smith would have a really strong case based on that. So let's move on. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. If you got something. Oh, no, I was gonna say that's a good point about I would hope I know some of the old time sports writers in those rooms debating these things. I would hope that those numbers start making their way into those rooms, but I I am also skeptical about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, So let's talk about linebackers and I'm going to start, I'm going to start in a dark place. So I've waited like 25 minutes to get into this, but um, what if I told you that Troy reader was starting in week one for the Minnesota Vikings? Do people know whom Troy reader is? a football player, linebacker. He's basically just Nick Vigil. Like if you remember Nick Vigil, he's just Nick Vigil. Same guy. Actually, Nick Vigil changed his name, came back. He's now Troy Reader. Um, (laughs) That's why he revitalized his career. If, 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 wow. If that were the case, I think they were incredibly disappointed in Brian Osamoa this uh, summer. And this is a big uh, camp, big joint practices, big preseason for this guy because he only had those kind of spurts. It was three games, I think, last December 
in which it was at least 25 snaps or something like that. It wasn't a whole lot. And then once he got to the postseason, everyone was like, where is this kid? Uh, and he was nowhere to be found because of that coaching staff. So um, I think we haven't seen it and we've seen just those spurts. And that's what makes this so undetermined and probably makes you even ask this question is because we are making kind of a grand assumption if in these conversations you just say, oh, well, they got Brian Awesome. Oh, it's going to work out. Well, we've really, really got to see it. And this is not Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce in front of you. This is not Linval Joseph in front of you. Um, this is going to be a defensive front that tries to be more attacking, seemingly more one-gap attacking style, where the defensive line get uphill quickly. And that means you linebackers could get stuck behind a block or two pretty frequently. Um, I don't think this is going to be the old... Uh, Zimmer, Eric Kendrick style thing where they just try to take up blocks for the little guys behind them. Um, I, I do wonder how that's going to play out and how they're going to try and get some run defense out of this group because if Brian Osimo is a part of that, he needs to kind of channel his inner Eric Kendricks and find a way to, to shoot those gaps and find little creases because uh, he's not a big guy. I was writing about this the other day about how Delvin Tomlinson will probably be, I don't know if he's like the biggest loss, but maybe he's a guy that if you go back and watch him on all 22, you're like, Whoa, Delvin Tomlinson is really good at football, but they didn't have great defenses while he was there. And there's only so much that a defensive tackle can do individually, but you would watch him specifically and talk about like controlling the man in front of him, controlling gaps. Uh, he could get after the passer a little bit, especially in the, run game he's just really proficient and where they struggled in 2021 was when Pierce got hurt and then Tomlinson was having to do it himself and last year he really didn't have another partner I think they wanted uh Bullard to be that Kyrus Tonga sort of mixed it mixed in to be that but it was never really like this consistent okay they've got a couple of they got meaty boys as they were once uh jokingly <laughs> called by Eric Hendricks so this is a challenge for the linebackers to be able to stop the run and they could be one of the you know, I guess worst running defenses in the league is very possible considering who they have up front and the way that they're going to play. This is a big challenge for the linebackers with Asamoa. Is there a little bit of, we decided at our first impression that he was good and he's going to have to prove otherwise. It's sort of like with Lewis seen hit the first impression was not good. So it's, you have to prove to me that you are. Asamoah looked like a ball of lightning when he was out there. I mean, the play that he made against the Giants, that's a big game. They're driving, and he pops a ball out and makes a play. I think that he left such a good first impression from the very tiny sample that our assumption is, okay, this guy can play, but we're really going to need to see that over camp. You're right about that. And, and I think even when you think back to the Bellinger play where he jarred that ball loose against the Giants, I mean, he gave up that catch and he recovered to his credit, used that speed to recover quickly and made a great play. But um, yeah, you've, you've got to see it in much greater uh, sample sizes to know that this guy's good. It goes a long way, though, when uh, in December, Eric Hendricks made some comment where, um, you know, I'm excited to see how good this kid gets. Like his teammates, his veteran teammates had been impressed by the that uh, equal, equally small sample size that we're talking about. So, um, I think that goes a long way, but, um, yeah, it's those impressions, those little tidbits that people hold on to. And when you've got eight months to sit here and talk about it before the next game is played, you kind of have to latch onto those and think that that is going to project well for the kid, but you also need to be realistic. Um, it was a year ago, the San Francisco 49ers were out here in Egan for joint practices. And that offense was bullying, the defense. Trey Lance didn't look good. We could kind of all see that coming, 
but they were just pushing people around up front and really playing a, a different style of aggression of football. Um, and Kyle Juszczyk, after one of those practices, had said, you know, I see some little linebackers out here, and I think I think fullbacks are going to make a comeback in this league because they're going to try and counter these small defenses. That's kind of a problem for the Vikings right now. They are not a big defense. They are not a big defensive front. They they seem to have leaned more on, and, and you know, budgetary issues are part of this, but they seem to have leaned more on uh, speed, certainly, in some of their draft picks as opposed to bulk um, or size. Um, and up front with their free agent additions, they're not going for, you know, Harrison Phillips was their big nose tackle addition two years ago, and he's 307 pounds or whatever. So um, I, I just think in general that that is going to be uh, a big issue for them. And I think it, it might be why you see Reader and Hicks maybe playing more of those rundown roles too eventually if we're speculating on that. No, you're right. And I left Harrison Phillips out of that conversation. It just seemed like they were looking for like a run stuffer specific guy in Bullard or in Tonga. I mean, Phillips kind of plays all the plays, but uh, they never really found that dude. Um, Tonga showed, you know, he made some plays throughout the year, but I think that that person needs to show up or it's going to be a little bit of a rough ride with what they have uh, right now. Now, what if I told you that anybody else other than Jordan Hicks was getting a lot of snaps as a linebacker because I mean, they bring back Jordan Hip Hicks. I would say I was a little surprised. He seemed like a guy that was going to be a pretty obvious cut at the end of the year based on his salary cap situation, his age. And I thought his performance last year was very like, okay, well, everyone was bad in this defense, but it, he wasn't really a game changer for them very much. I also understand why you would want a veteran guy who has been around and, and you and I have both talked to Jordan Hicks, another very intelligent player. I feel like sometimes I say this all the time, but if you're a 30 year old in the league and you've been to a couple different teams and everything else, you're probably a pretty smart guy. And I see that in Jordan Hicks, but can anybody push for playing time aside from Jordan Hicks? And, and we'll leave like Troy reader out of this. I mean, any of these, like, Troy Dye is still a Minnesota Viking. You believe that? Uh, people are excited <laughs> about Ivan Pace. You wrote last year about William Quinku. There's other people that have names. Like, who do you, who, what, what do you think? No, man, I don't, I think we're all looking at a bunch of special teamers and camp bodies. Um, I think Brian Osimo is the only guy that if, if you looked at someone who could kind of solidify an every down role, if he can take that Eric Kendrick style ascension, which is the, ceiling obviously for somebody like that um that's what you want you you want to have that next guy who can be that and that would be it um in terms of talent um from what we can see from our sideline our advantage that's the only guy i see and troy reader could be a nice little journeyman uh fill in somebody who can give you those running downs and be somebody who steps in every now and then but um no i i think troy uh, yeah it's troy die it's william Quenku. Uh, yeah, they bring in pace. Um, I'm trying to even think who else is even on this roster. It's their investments show you that they're not looking for much of anything out of these guys other than uh, give us give us some special teams reps because those are going to be the spots that have turned over the most. You are clearly missing Abraham Boplan, who is <laughs> that's a real that's a real person who's on the roster. I mean that Abraham Boplan. I'm sorry, He's Mr. Boplan. I, I did, yeah, and I, and I mean no disrespect on this. We just got a lot of guys we got to uh, keep track of and. Uh, Troy Dye, like you said, is somehow still one of them. Good for him. Good for him. Okay, let, let me ask you a very important question before we uh, put a bow on this. Who was your favorite, like, aesthetic linebacker? 
So, I mean, linebacker, it's really lost its vibe where, you know, you can't tell if they're a safety. We talked about their size, but also there used to be linebackers that did stuff specifically to look dangerous and scary. And I just don't feel like they do this anymore. They all just have other than, well, Troy Dye doesn't wear the gloves and <laughs> man, that I, I actually think he changed that last year. Maybe he caught so much flack for no gloves. Like that was a bad look. He was wearing number like 45 and no gloves. That's not the look I'm talking about. How about aesthetic, like all time great. This guy looks scary and awesome linebackers. Uh, I think it's got to be one of the dirtiest linebackers of all time uh, to me. And the area that I grew up in, which was the nineties into the early two thousands, it was Bill Romanowski. I mean, Bill Romanowski had that look of like, I'm juiced up at all times. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to run through a wall. And you, you should have been scared of him just by looking at him. He didn't always have, I was, I was Googling him because I couldn't remember if he ever had the neck roll. And I think he did. He had moments where he had like that black neck roll in the Raiders uniform. Um, that would be more my era of just nasty, like was going to do some dirty things to you, linebacker. Yes, I agree. And uh, RIP uh, Junior Seau, but he was one of my favorites for how he looked. I mean, he would get like way down, you know, he like crouched way down, but he had yep. those huge pads that went up to his ear holes. So he'd just be like, like crazy eyes and stuff. Uh, or Mike, other, yeah, Mike Singletary too. How can we forget? All-time vibes from Mike Singletary. A little bit before I was watching football, so I don't specifically... I mean, I've seen pictures of Mike Singletary, but in in my brain, I can envision what Junior Seau looked like. Yeah. Uh, another one would be like Kevin Green. I know he's more of a pass rusher, but the wild hair and everything coming out. Um, oh, here's another one. We're talking about small guys. Sam Mills. He had great. He had a great aesthetic, though. Right, like that. He had. He was a linebacker with this with the with the bar down the middle. Like when the linebackers used to have the bar down the middle of their nose, yep. like why would you do that for linebackers? I mean, they need to see everything. I don't really get that. Uh, were you here when Audi Cole was here? Oh, yes. Oh, that was a vibe. For I sure. Love, yeah. Audi Cole had the vibe, had the vibe of like, I belong in 1985 NFL. Um, the long hair when he had coming out the back. Every, every preseason, he was good for a pick six that would help him make the roster as that fifth linebacker. And then he'd be starting by November or December. And bringing out the old, I think it was number 57. It was just a good, yeah, good vibe, good fit. I will also go with uh, Brian Cox, who had a neck backboard thing. Ooh, and uh, he's one one of the only guys I've ever seen with that. Because we talk about the neck rolls, we have the back. And if you're going old school Vikings, I mean, Studwell just had this, yeah. like the pads aren't fitting right. They're like falling off. He's got the neck roll. And there's a podcast that I did a couple summers ago with Scott. And he, and I asked him about the neck roll and he was like, I think it was just for the look. I, I don't know if it actually did anything. I think it was just to like look pretty scary. It worked. It worked. I put the put the fear of God in you. Yeah, I would still not mess with Scott Scott Studwell. Uh, so uh, bigger picture though on this, because this is your only position that you're previewing here on the show. So let me ask a bigger picture defense question. What if I told you they were good on defense? Would you believe me? How would they get there? What's your thought? Wow. Um, <clears throat> I think if they were good on defense, they somehow kept Daniel Hunter. I, I think that's their only path to that, or at least that's the starting point. That's the first block. Uh, the second would be that you saw a second corner, whether that's a Caleb Evans, Andrew Booth, 
uh, one of these guys really come on and be a difference maker. Um, not just be an okay starter, but like be a guy who's got five picks and the NFL is talking about like, Hey, who is this kid? Uh, they need that. They need that kind of big time difference maker in the secondary because at safety, I think Harrison Smith at his age, while I said, I do think he can make the pro bowl. My bet would be that he's more of a reliable starter for you. I think you've got just a bunch of reliable starters at safety. You need somebody to be a difference maker in the secondary. And why not it come from the obscurity in one of these young corners that we know nothing about uh, kind of stepping up and doing it for you. And, and that would be the dream for the Vikings because they've remade that cornerback group entirely in 18 months. There is not a single corner left on this roster that Quase Adolfo Mensa inherited before he took this job. Everybody's gone. Everybody knew is in. Um, they need one of those guys to step up and that would help this, this pass rush. What they're trying to do is force. They're trying to create enough pressure to make that coverage a lot easier. And they can make, they could help one hand will help wash the other if they also get some decent cornerback play. Cause if it's like it was last year, uh, Matt, I don't know what kind of blitz you could draw up to stop a wide open slant every single time. Cause that's what happened last year. I mean, there's always on the show I bring up. If you tried to play in the NFL, you would just go to the hospital and everything else. But <laughs> the one exception is if you had to run a slant against the Vikings defense last year, maybe you'd be open and catch the ball and just go down. They're playing so far back. And, and of course, now, normally the argument is, well, look, if they know you're out there, they're just going to knock you down. Not at Donatel, though. Not at Donatel. He would just be like, no, we're playing the defense. He was like on Tech Mobile where your defensive players couldn't move before. So they would yeah. just like yep. sit there and, and the quarterback's a hut, 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 hut. And you're just sitting there. That was at Donatel's defense. So um, anyway, well, it'll, it'll be fun uh, to be out there with you to uh, share some Jimmy John's. And actually, you know, I think there are other food options starting to develop uh, around the area. So that'll be a good time. And uh, it always is a training camp. So make sure you check out, uh, not that people don't know what the Star Tribune is, but your coverage specifically, I know for training camp as it launches, you're going to have a lot of very cool features and things like that. So make sure you check those out. And uh, we will definitely be together on a podcast soon, Andrew. Thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for having me on.